What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Daily Bible Reading Snapshot. Today we're looking at Genesis 25 and 26 here in the Old Testament, then starting Matthew 9 in the New Testament. So here in Genesis 25, 26, it's really a transition from Abraham to a couple of chapters of Isaac. But even as we're talking about Isaac, we're already introduced to the new generation, Jacob and Esau. And we're going to see Abraham and Jacob are really the main characters, and then Joseph. So Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph are really the main characters of the book of Genesis when it comes to how long we have written about them, how many chapters we have about them. Isaac is really a small character, but he's an important one. And his main job is to pass on the promise that God made to Abraham. He's supposed to pass that on to Jacob and Esau, which is why one of the main things when Jacob and Esau are born, one of the main things that's important is that they have the blessing. And the main blessing that we have here that we're talking about today, which we're gonna talk about more, tomorrow, but the main blessing is that Esau has this birthright, which remember Esau, he's the older of the tw of the twins, Jacob and Esau, Jacob comes later, Esau comes just before, but Esau sells his birthright because he's hungry. Now, this seems like a scene where Jacob is taking advantage of Esau. Although I believe that's true, that's one of the things we're supposed to take away. He cheats people out of things, just like he's later going to be cheated out of other things, but Esau is the one that's condemned in this chapter. Esau is the one that God says, Esau did what was wrong. Interesting. It says, at the very end, Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright, despises to look down on. He looked down on his birthright. He treated something that was important to God like it wasn't important. So that's characteristic of Esau. So he's going to get mad, and we're going to like want to feel bad for Esau because he gets cheated out of things from his brother, but ultimately Esau did what was wrong too here. So chapter 26 says there's a famine in the land. So Isaac goes down to Abimelech, interesting, and lies about being um, the, the wife or the, the husband or wife. What's that about? He says, oh, well, Rebecca is not my, not my wife. She's my sister, right? So this is something that literally his father, Abraham, did to a guy named Abimelech. So this happens twice in the book of Genesis. So if you're confused, like Abimelech, I've heard that name before. Oh, this whole scene of lying and saying, this isn't my, um, my, my wife, this is my sister. Haven't I seen that before? Yes, you have. It's ironic that it's the same guy. They're not the same guy, different guy, same name, but same sin takes place again. But in this chapter, there's two things that I want you to see. Early on in the chapter, in verse 4, and then down to verse 24, there are two times where God shows up to Isaac and promises to Isaac, the promises I made to Abraham, I'm making to you and to your offspring. So it's very clear that God is pinpointing this individual Isaac and saying, you are going to pass on these promises to the next generation. But before that, in the middle of this, it says there's a time where Isaac has to dig up old wells, which is an interesting little picture. You got Isaac going to the wells that his father dug, and it says that these enemies of Abraham took them and filled them. It says the Philistines, um, the group that was going to later be called the Philistines, they envied him and they filled the wells of, of Abraham, which is just not a nice thing to do. Imagine you went through all the work of digging into the ground, digging this big hole where now you've got water that can come out of it. Imagine someone just saying, we're going to fill it with dirt. Right? That's that's not cool, um, but that's what happens. So Isaac has to go around and start digging up these old wells, which is a cool picture. It's like, you know, these wells are the source of water. That's what Abraham is, or that's what Isaac is going back to, which obviously there, there's, I, I believe this happened. This is 
literal stuff that took place, but also there's a good picture and what's happening because in between this, this, this narrative sits in between two times that God makes promises that said, Hey, Isaac, the promises I made to Abraham are also to you. And then he says, Hey, by the way, the promises I made to Abraham are also to you. Sandwiched in between is Isaac going up and digging his father's old wells and getting sustenance and life from the thing that his father did that was covered up. So it's just an interesting picture. I think they're, 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 they're similar in, in what's happening here, right? God is blessing Isaac through something he already blessed Abraham with. So interesting. Then it says here at the end, Esau was 40 years old when he took a wife and it says he made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So that's setting up the scene for tomorrow. What's going to take place tomorrow? Esau and Jacob are going to get into a little fight over the birthright. Not, not just the birthright, but also the blessing that Isaac is going to give, which the blessing stems from all the promises that God made here um, to Isaac in chapter 26. So that's basically all there is to Isaac in the Old Testament. Very short, but still a guy who trusts God and a guy who passes on the promises of God to the next generation. So that's our Old Testament reading today. We're looking at Matthew chapter 9 in the New Testament, which really we're seeing only a couple of scenes here, three scenes. The first one is where Jesus heals this man who can't walk. He's a paralytic. So it seems like he can't walk. His legs don't work. His arms work, but his legs don't work. And he is not just healed. He's also forgiven. And that sparks an interesting controversy because people come to Jesus and say, how can you possibly, how can this guy possibly forgive sins? That's blasphemous. Jesus turns to them and says, what's harder to say? Rise and walk or your sins are forgiven. I want you to imagine you were standing there. What would you have said is harder to say? I think it's harder to say rise and walk than it is to say your sins are forgiven because anyone could just come along and say your sins are forgiven and they could maybe feel something, but you can't I mean, raise him to walk. But on the other hand, what's easier to get a guy to get raised up or to have his sins forgiven? Who can forgive sins? right? Like you can't forgive sins. I can't forgive sins. I can't do either one of those things. I can't tell a guy rise and walk. I can't tell him that his sins are forgiven. Like, how is that possible? Jesus can do both. And I think that's the point. The point is I'm showing you and Jesus, Jesus is showing you that he is able to raise this guy up. Likewise, Jesus should be showing them, Hey, I can also forgive their sins. So the power of the one is proving the power over the other. And that's the point here. Then it says, that Jesus calls this guy named Matthew, who's a tax collector. And tax collectors were not good people. They were sinners. And this guy, he was sitting there at the toll booth and he calls him and he leaves everything behind and he follows Jesus, which is an amazing thing. The faith of a guy like Matthew to leave his old life of sin behind and his old life of wealth and extravagance and money, to leave that all behind, to follow the guy who said in the last chapter, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. But Matthew didn't care. He followed Jesus, which is awesome. And that sparks a controversy with the Pharisees because they say to Jesus, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you associating with him? Don't you know he's a sinner? And Jesus says, you know, people who are sick, that, those are the ones that need doctors. But the people who are healthy, they don't need doctors. I came to call those who were sick. I came to call those who were sinners, which the Pharisees, if they thought they were righteous, they'd listen to that and say, oh, okay, well, great. We don't need you. But the point is, they should be seen. They are also sick too. They need Jesus just as much as anyone else. And that leads to another controversy. It says the disciples of John came to him and said, hey, we see that the Pharisees fast and we fast, but um, you guys don't fast. The disciples of Jesus don't fast. Uh, what's that about? Should, isn't that like a righteous thing to do to, to show God how much you, you care about him, to, to just not take any water or food and to say, I'm going to 
spend today praying. And Jesus has to explain to them, no, well, there is a time where my disciples will fast, just not right now. You don't fast when the bridegroom is there, right? You wait to eat until the wedding feast, but when, when the bridegroom is there, it doesn't make sense to fast. But later on, they will fast. So it's just interesting to show this connection between the old and the new. He says, yeah, there will come a time where my people will be in, in having great sorrow um, until I come back. But right now, no, it's a time for rejoicing, which is interesting to see that Jesus is the, the centerpiece of everything that God was doing. I think that's the main point here. When we read this and we see, okay, he can heal people. He can forgive people. He can call people out of their sin. He's the physician who wants to heal people. Um, he, he's the guy that everyone should be you know, around and not fasting with. Who is this person? Which leads us to the middle of the book of Matthew when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? That's what we all need to do. As we read the book of Matthew, we need to ask the question and answer it. Who do we say Jesus is? If he's really the Christ, if he's really God in the flesh, we need to submit to him with our whole lives and obey him and follow him. And especially as we just read the Sermon on the Mount a couple days ago, we need to obey what he says about how to live our lives every day. So thanks for reading. We'll see you back tomorrow for another daily Bible reading snapshot.